Welcome to Three Way Movie Gasm with Sasha Stone from Awards Daily and Ryan Adams from Awards Daily and Craig Kennedy from LivingInCinema.com. Today we're going to mull over the best picture race, talk about the social network, the King's Speech, the Fighter, and Inception. We're also going to talk a bit about True Grit and Sofia Coppola's Somewhere. We kind of bounce all over the place, mm. but what a great way to start Christmas week. It's a complicated question. I think the only way a movie can beat the social network at this point is if it has that something something. You know, there's certain movies every year that just capture the audience's imagination and they're sort of talked about and buzzworthy mm. and they sort of overcome whatever the critical steamroller is. Um, and the King's Speech. So far, it doesn't seem like that movie. I there mean, it's isn't. Only, it's only in, like, 18 theaters right now. So, you know, if it goes wider and people really respond to it, then I might have to change my story. No, that's never going to happen. That's not even, I, I sorry, don't even no. know if that's going to... I don't know if that's going to happen, if people are going to be really respond to it. They didn't respond to Atonement. They didn't... What other movies can we compare it to? Well, <clears throat> King's Queen. Speech is very different yeah. from Atonement. And, in fact... The Queen, I just watched it the other day again. It's one of my favorite movies because I do think it's it's kind of a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was but way too dry. No, it was too picture. it was too dry to win. It could never have won. The King's Speech is a lot more wet than dry. It's very sappy and feel-goody. It started in Toronto, right? Yeah, I think they're going on the fact that the King's Speech is winning these audience awards. Mm. Um, but... King's Speech is going to have a lot of voters. Black Swan's going to have a lot of voters. The Fighter's going to have a lot of voters. Here's the thing. If you look at the history of the... Let's just let's just reduce it down to the L.A. film critics and the New York film critics. So that's sort of the, the cream of the crop of the film critics. And I'm looking at your right. chart that you put up mm-hmm. on your website back... Um, whatever the hell that was. Um, I think the argument is, is that if you look at the chart... Only three times in like the last 15 years has the choice by one of those groups actually ended up winning the Oscar. That was for Hurt Locker, No Country, and Return of the King. Mm-hmm. All the other times, a different film won. I know, but look at that. But How- if you look at those films, you've got Crash, you've got Million Dollar Baby, you've got Chicago, A Beautiful Mind, Gladiator, American Beauty, mm-hmm. Shakespeare in Love. Titanic, mm-hmm. The English Patient, Braveheart, and Forrest Gump. All of those movies had, all of those movies were were a, a part of the mainstream conversation. They, those right. movies that people who don't go to 200 movies a year were talking about. And I don't see The King's Speech as being like that no at all. Way. I mean, Not it, it, it can turn into that. Like I said, it's only those movie theaters, so it's hard to say. So it may still turn into that, but I don't see that happening. If, if any movies do that, that I think it's either going to be The Fighter or True Grit, and we'll find out this weekend if either of those movies, uh, well, this weekend and next Wednesday, whether either of those movies um, sort of capture the public imagination. Yeah. And if they don't, then I don't see how you can argue for any other movie except for The Social Network. I agree with you. Um, I think The Fighter 
actually has a better chance than the King's Speech. I think Toy Story 3 has a better chance than the King's Speech. And I know it I th- sounds terrible. I think terrible. Inception has a bigger, better chance than yeah, the King's Speech. Yeah, I don't Speech. think the King's Speech is a bad movie. I think it's a really good movie. It's just not anywhere near the best movie. And but going by the, just the list that Craig uh, ran off just a minute ago, um, the Best Picture winners that, that didn't win L.A. or New York Critics, those movies, like you said, they transcended the critics. They, they transcended and went beyond the critics and, and, and spilled over into um, such a public enthusiasm. And like, like you said, the, I don't see the King's Speech doing that, but mm-hmm. Inception already has. It already has spilled over. Well, and, and Inception, unfortunately, has a really great second half and kind of a hard-to-get-through first half. And if you can make it through that first half, you're just golden. I mean, it is one of the best and most beautiful films I've ever seen in that second half when he goes down with, with Marianne Cotillard and you start to see how their relationship unfolded and how they got lost in that dream world and his... I mean, it's just, it's it's a beautiful film, you know, it really is. But you do have to deal with that first half, which is just a lot of exposition and confusing stuff going on. And um, <clears throat> the thing about the King's Speech, I just want to say one more thing, is that it reminds me of Up in the Air, because the reason Up in the Air kept getting all those nominations is the same reason the King's Speech is, because the King's Speech has three acting nominations going in. Mm-hmm. It's got Jeffrey Rush, Helena Bonham Carter, and Colin Firth. And Up in the Air had both supporting actresses and George Clooney. And that's why it kept topping all the the nominations. If you look back at last year, you'll see Up in the Air leads, Up in the Air leads, Up in the Air leads. And, of course, Hurt Locker was never going to lead any of those because it was lucky if it got one acting nomination. The Social Network is the same way and The Departed was the same way. And No Country for Old Men was the same way. These movies all have the same thing in common, which is a visionary director um, and, you know, an incredible screenplay and it just captures that, that, that kind of sexy thing that, that only some movies do. And you know it when you see it, or I do anyway, you just know it when you see it. It's not something you can really explain. It's just this movie has it. This movie doesn't, you know, it's like sexiness, either that you have the X factor or you don't, you know? Well, like so. you said earlier today in the email, when you when you saw the social network, you knew that that was the best movie you'd seen all year, and you were then going to wait to see if anything else better came along, and it hasn't. It, nothing better has come along, and I felt the same way. I have there's a couple of movies I have yet to see this year, but I felt the same way in September or early October when I first saw the social network. This is the best movie I've, I've seen all year long, yeah. and I was I was though expecting that there would be other things that would come along that might might uh, surpass it but that I have so happened. too and <clears throat> the people who compare it to LA Confidential which they like to do I've seen LA Confidential recently and it's a good movie I it's love not a, movie. yeah it's a really good movie but I could see why it didn't win best picture I mean it's really good um but what won that year Titanic Titanic but well, there, there you go and there isn't a Titanic coming along exactly but but LA Confidential did win the critics awards I'm pretty yeah. sure just off the top of my head I'm pretty it did. sure that no, it did no it won both yeah. I think it even won the National Board of Review and it won the just like um this movie the National Board of Review both both LA and New York um, you leave a movie like that. I mean, you're just jazzed. You're just jazzed when when the credits start rolling that you've seen such a good thing. That's the way we I felt, and we all felt when we saw Inglorious Bastards last year. That art, you know, he did it. You know, I was pretty much burnt out on it from the 40 different posters that came out, and there was such <laughs> a long time before between uh, Cannes and the time that we, we, anybody actually got to see it that I thought that it was just um, had been 
Yeah. Over, I've been talked out, but, but then, <clears throat> then it came along and you're just really impressed by it. Yeah, but I was impressed by it the same way I was impressed by Black Swan and by True Grit and by 127 Hours, these movies that are, to me, you know, um, great films, but films that appeal to a certain kind of person and not films that appeal across the board. And when I saw The Social Network, I recognized it as one of those films that while everybody's not going to love it, everybody's mm-hmm. not going to say it's their favorite of the year, um, it's going to it's going to be more favorited by more people than any of the others. And that's really how you find your best picture winner. Well, and it seems like a year like last year where where it, it's susceptible to the critics ramming home a movie like they did with Hurt Locker. If Hurt Locker had come out in another year when there was a Titanic or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, there there was Avatar, but I think. I don't know. Avatar is a terrible movie. It was so fraught. I was, was going to say, it's, it, it was, I couldn't take Avatar seriously at the time. And I think even the people who really loved Avatar deep, deep, deep down knew that it would have been sort of an around the world in 80 days kind of pick. And yeah. I think the voters, I think the voters tend to, to are drawn towards movies, A, that they like, but B, that they can pick and sort of feel smart by doing it. Yeah. And, and Avatar wasn't that movie. Not at all. Um, and in fact, Glorious Bastards to me was of of the movies that were nominated was the best pick, but it was too genre, um, too edgy, too, too many people getting their scalps cut off. <laughs> it's a really, really good movie, but it's dark humor and they don't right. usually go for that because a lot of people don't get a, a lot of people don't get dark humor and B there is a dynamic that happens that you have to kind of be older to get, which is that if you're older it's it's kind of a, a big leap to appreciate someone who's a younger director who's doing these kind of things without you feeling like they're a pretentious douchebag. And right. that was Scorsese's problem for a great many years was that they just thought, who's this young upstart who thinks he can make movies better than we can, you know? He um, had to get old before he could win. Yeah, and they had to catch up with him. And Tarantino's the same way. And you know what? Tarantino's a better filmmaker that his movies don't win Oscars. You know what I mean? If they yeah. did, he would be fairly. He wouldn't, you know. He well, he's definitely better because he doesn't try to make movies that win Oscars. I don't. Yeah. Think. Right, right. No. Not so much that they don't win, but that he yeah. that it he doesn't isn't care. on his radar. Yeah, right. I mean, Inglorious Inglorious Bastards is such a unique film. It's such a one of a kind thing. I mean, Black Swan takes that, you know, slot this year. It's yeah, and that's another thing though that the the uniqueness and and uh, I was thinking too when we were talking you were talking about 1976 earlier today. Taxi Driver had that unique thing. Mm. And Taxi Driver, I, although I haven't seen Black Swan yet, I, I associate those two movies together because they're so the style is so um, flamboyant in a way. Yeah. You know? Academy voters tend to. You know, like stories that are well told rather than show offy directors. And mm-hmm. um, so that's why Darren Aronofsky probably won't win, although it's possible. And um, Darren Aronofsky and Black Swan, even though everybody didn't like it, it definitely has a passionate. And what's surprising, though, is that, like you say, the gurus are saying that. Who mm-hmm. should know better? Really, they've had so much experience with this. Are they really? Do they really feel that this that King's Speech is better, or are they just thinking? Are they just trying to guess what the Academy is going to do? I don't know. I really have never seen anything because, like it. Yeah. It's, well, what didn't kind of happen last year too? Didn't it? I forget. Were they on board with the Hurt Locker all year, or even at near the end of the year? No, not at all. But there wasn't. Yeah, it was first. It was up in the air, and then it shifted to 
maybe the Hurt Locker and then it shifted to Avatar and then it shifted back to the Hurt Locker because the Hurt Locker kept winning all the major awards. And everybody said Catherine Bigelow is going to win director, but something else is going to win Best Picture. And that's exactly what they did with The Departed. Mm-hmm. And remember Chris Tapley, he's, I think he said that No Country couldn't win Best Picture. You know? The couldn't thing really, it, it confuses me and it also pisses me off because why, you know, it's just such an arrogant thing to say in a way that, oh, it can't. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's a movie that is Roger Ebert's number one, Kenneth Turan's number one, the New York film critic's number one. The Chicago film critics, number one. I mean, it's it's not just snooty critics that like The Social Network. It's Roger mm-hmm. Ebert. It's Kenneth Turan. So I'm, you know, it's the one that is across the board hitting all the right notes. So I mean, I, even E! Entertainment has a top ten list, and on the E! Entertainment <laughs> website, The Social Network is number one. Yeah, and people love it. I was watching the Twitter feed when it came out, and everybody who came out of that movie, I loved The Social Network. What a great mm-hmm. movie. I loved the... You might see it coming out of Black Swan, but you see kind of Black Swan, love it, hate it. I hear a lot of people say, I hated the Black Swan. The Black Swan, Black Swan. Mm. I'm the one jerk on the internet for whom uh, the social network isn't even going to be in my top 10. But when I look at Metacritic of the 41 reviews, 28 of them are hundreds. I know. It's really astonishing. It's hard to ignore that. I mean, if, uh-huh. if any movie is going to be rammed home by critics, that's going to be the one. And like we said before, it's a matter of whether there's another movie that can just be more popular. And yeah. I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see that movie out there. It's possible that this weekend, once it hits wide release, that the fighter will catch the world's imagination and yeah. we'll all be voting for that. But I don't see that happening. A lot of people want to compare it to Rocky, which which beat Taxi Driver in 1976-77, but it's not as good of a movie as Rocky, and, and the characters mm-hmm. aren't as rootable as Rocky was. Well, and I, yeah. just, I just I don't see the comparison other than the fact that it's about boxers. I don't either, and the fact that it's a happy ending. Um, I think that it doesn't the have f- the Tom Conti score. No, you know, it doesn't have dun, 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 dun. Yeah, You're exactly. not going to have, you know, and when I was in, in school, you know, we all played Rocky. I mean, he was such a uh-huh. huge part of our lives. Um, the fighter is not going to be anywhere near that. For one thing, it's well, coming out too late in the year, you know. Oh, damn. Sorry. <laughs> won't be drinking <laughs> that, that I guess. <laughs> but um, <laughs> let's just talk about the fighter for a minute. We've all seen it, right? Oh, no. I haven't yet because uh, I only got it today, and so I, oh, yeah, I was watching True Grit instead. I to watch it, but he jumped into True Grit instead. The Fighter, to me, is like three different movies. If I had to choose one of the movies, I would pick the one where he leaves his unhealthy family and becomes a fighter. Not yes, and goes wins. back to his unhealthy family, and everybody's all happy together. If the, I would I, like it. it, it goes against the true story but if they had focused on mark Wahlberg and amy adams and it had been all about them getting together and him succeeding it would have been great because mm-hmm. actually their their two performances were pretty terrific yeah um christian bale and melissa leo acted their their nutsacks off but they seemed like they were in a completely different movie yeah and they were they were cartoons they weren't human beings and it was irritating i I look at uh, the fighter. The movie I want to see, since I'm since boxing movies are like my least favorite movie, the movie I wish that it would be is the movie about Mark Wahlberg getting a movie made. 
about a fighter. Yeah. I want to see the yeah. behind-the-scenes story of the getting the movie made. That would be a lot more interesting to me I than d- the movie itself. I don't get how you make a movie about these real people who are on the set and everything, and you, you allow Christian Bale to go so far off into the crazy that it turns the audience against him and for Mark Wahlberg to get away from him. And same with Melissa Leo. It's like by the end of that movie, you hate her. You don't want him Mm -hmm. to go back with her and be close with her again. You know, you think she's really damaging with the bourbon. And I mean, that's David O. Russell's fault. You know, he didn't make them likable at all. He didn't give us any reason to think that they should be in his life. You know, I think it's, I think it's partly Wahlberg's fault. And I think it's partly, um, what was it? Relativity, Relativity Media that mostly did it before Paramount came back on board. Um, I, they they tried to soften it so much and turn it into sort of a. It, well, it, be, it became like it became a sitcom. It became Everybody Loves Dicky for Christ's sake. Yeah, um, I mean it's it, so crazy. It, it shouldn't have been that. And it, but it, I don't think I don't. I'm not sure. I think it was it was it was Russell's fault. I think he was sort of a relief pitcher that was brought in when. Aronofsky dropped out, and I think Aronofsky dropped out because they didn't want to make the hard-edged movie that he probably was interested in. They wanted to make a crowd-pleasing softball. Yeah, and that's and, and so it became this this weird mishmash based on what they had seen him do with the wrestler. But he can he's shown now he can do he 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 might have done something interesting. But was it was it did they get rid of him or did he or did he quit? He remained executive producer. I just think he decided to do Black Swan instead. Mm, it was it, that's why I wonder: is it his decision, or did it, was it a, um, a studio decision to change director? I'm ninety percent certain that it was his decision because it wasn't the studio wasn't big enough to be calling the shots. I don't think it was because Paramount had bailed. They they decided they didn't want to do it at all because it was too expensive for um, for the kind of movie that it was at this point. I think Brad Pitt. And like Matt Damon were attached to it or something, and it was like going to be ridiculously expensive. And they're like, "No, we're not going to do this." And whichever producer it was ended up pushing it through, and they got um, um, Christian Bale instead. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm it's rambling, a, so I, thing, I, it's so strange to me because. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Please go ahead. No, I was go just going to say that you know how they say the kids are all right is a comedy. To me, like, The Fighter is a comedy, if you're going to say The Kids Are All Right is a comedy. Like, all those scenes are comedic between him and um, Amy Adams and the, the sisters. And there is a scene, Ryan, where the sisters all pile into a car and drive over to where Amy Adams is. And I swear to yeah. God, there's a cat fight on the porch yeah. of the house, like Jerry Springer cat fight. Was where Amy Adams driving? punches one of the girls in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I am not Tunes kidding is, you. Is driving the car. That's what they need. <laughs> so, so I just to me it's like there's I'm that. I'm so movie. sorry that I didn't watch it today so that I could talk shit about it too. <laughs> but like there's that part of the movie. That's one movie. The other movie yeah. is Christian Bale is a crackhead and they're making an HBO movie about him that they everybody sits down and watches and this is the first time they realize that he's making a and that was the most i thought <clears throat> dramatically compelling element to the film like the weirdest most twisted part of it the most disturbing was that whole hbo thing him thinking they were making sort of a, yeah. a 
bad geography of him, but it turns yeah. out that they're making an expose on on crack smokers. Yeah, but it was too. How about if I give an opinion about a movie that I haven't seen by saying that just judging from the previews that I've seen, usually when you have an ensemble cast, they work together and they 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 they, they blend together seamlessly. But when I see the previews and I see specific scenes from the fighter, it seems like everybody is trying to outact everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is trying to get in get in get an elbow everybody else out of the way so they can have their turn in the spotlight and it's it's uh, resulted in, in in a lot of uh nominations for the actors except for yeah and i think that that i can see why they're getting nominated but you know the best actor other than amy adams who i thought was really good was mark Wahlberg, and that's because yeah. he's so calm and quiet and the other ones are so hysterical and shrill and he's I relatable get- and he's likable and i mean he he's his usual sort of doofus character but that fits that guy and he's likable and and you want him to end up with amy adams who is unusually sexy in this movie she drops her usual sort of uptight princess routine and is she puts on a little weight and she's she's believable as a blue collar kind of girl and she's incredibly sexy and funny yeah she was my favorite character in the whole movie as soon as she's off screen I mean, anytime she's on screen, she nails it. I mean, she's really a good actress, Amy Adams. I think we have to just admit that about her. She's really good. This is what people have been asking that she do for so long, too, that stop playing the sweet role, stop playing the princess, stop playing the novice nun, you know, and play somebody rough, you know, with a a more hardcore. And so maybe, you know, this has been a great decision for her. Another thing I think that works against the fighter is boxing movies are, are a pretty specific genre. You know, and how many of them can win Best Picture in a short span of time? We were talking earlier today about the fact that Rocky won in 76 or 77. Raging Bull comes along four years later, far, far superior movie. But how are you going to have another boxing movie win Best Picture just four years later? And since we've had Million Dollar Baby just four years ago, isn't it really too soon to have another boxing movie win Best Picture? It's like... What other I don't, genre I don't movie think so. wins that often? I mean, if it was good enough, I think it could win. But Million Dollar Baby is similar in that it's kind of a story that's all over the place. Million Dollar Baby, mm-hmm. like it goes yeah. from being a box. Well, yeah, first... yeah, definitely three stories, three, two or three different things going on in that yeah. movie. But Clint yeah. somehow holds it all together, and you can see why it won that year because it was up against The Aviator, and The Aviator wasn't the movie that. It was the movie that everybody wanted to be Scorsese's big Oscar movie, but it wasn't quite Mm -hmm. that. So it was easy for them to turn away from that and pick something that was more conventional, which is what I think people are thinking is going to happen with the King's speech. But sorry, Clint Eastwood and Tom Hooper, Mm -hmm. um, not in the same league, nowhere near. So, you know, it's all about the director. I think if Raging Bull came out today, it would win. Absolutely. It would just not even be... A contest. It's just that because now people See, the, pay the, attention. It goes back to the reason because he was still too young in 1980, and he still no. I think that it was it was the type of movie. I think the Academy of old went for movies that were feel good and gave you easy answers, and that the public more was, prestige pictures. And the public was much more invested in best picture back then. You know, as we've moved away from. Um, you know, as the gap between what the public likes and what the critics like and what the Academy likes just widens because the public is so infantilized, infantilized. They're so 
you know, everything's dumbed down to the lowest common male denominator of like 13 year old boys focus group shit, you know? So best comedies too. Like you really see that when you look at the golden globe comedy nominations this year, the kinds of comedy, the humor that, that is is considered nomination worthy is so lowbrow to me. Yeah. And the, the Academy, they want to pick a good movie. They want to pick the best movie now. And it's much more obvious now what the best movie is because there's a tide that turns and people see and the evidence is there where it wasn't before because now we have the internet, you know. You had to really do some research 10 years ago to know all the things that we can have at our fingertips today with these charts, like the chart that you put up on the site tonight. And I'm just looking at it. I'm impressed really with how the AFI did. When the AFI nominations came out, we had a lot of people who were saying this could very well be the 10 best picture nominations, except for the fact that I couldn't nominate King's Speech because it's not American. Yeah. But, uh, that, but it got adding a special... King's Speech and we're taking something else out, that, that could very well be the 10 nominees. And uh, the reason I say that, I'm looking at the chart for best picture, and they have the pictures ranked in, the, the, in order of which, who, which got the most nominations. And the top 10 movies that got the top 10 most amount of nominations are all the AFI cho- choices. And that's, oh, interesting. That's the only. See, if you look at the chart, that's the only one that has a solid bar that goes straight down from top to bottom. Hmm. The others are broken up. There's broken spaces. I don't know if you have the chart in front of you, but yeah, the AFI really. Uh, they got. They took. They got all. Well, they. They yeah. They got all ten except for uh, the King's Speech. I think we're going to see some surprises that you know are going to freak everybody out. I have a feeling Inception is not going to be as strong and with the Academy as people think it's going to be. I hope it is. I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But I just suspect that um if it's if it's down to say the fighter versus Inception. Do you know why I th- I know that you haven't been so enthusiastic about Inception, but you know the reason why I think it will. We had three science fiction movies nominated in the ten, among the 10 last year. Yeah. And there are no science fiction movies this year. There is a certain segment of the academy who really who make those kind of movies the technical side people really like like that kind of movie guys like that kind of movie there's got to be i think one kind of movie like that to satisfy that niche yeah i agree i mean it's a big blockbuster and everything i just have a feeling if there was any other movie that could take its place it would but it just seems like a lot of the movies that people thought might be strong um, haven't been. And the ones that you say are on the AFI, those are the strongest films of the year for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably your best picture 10. I can't The think ones that, that just missed the 10, the ones that are just below the 10 are Shutter Island, Another Year. Then there are the, the two um, sort of um, comic book movies, Scott Pilgrim and Kick-Ass, were, were like uh, 12 and 15 or something on the chart that you put up today as far as the amount of nominations. Because people, you know, I'm surprised that people remember those movies now at the end of the year. We enjoyed them. We were talk- We talked about them last week, how much we enjoyed them. But it didn't seem like the kind of movies that would be showing up on critics' lists. Hmm. It's inconceivable to me how high up the list of the gurus of gold the fighter is. <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the bubble movies, the town... 127 hours, and even Rabbit Hole, Shutter Island in another year. I could see all five of those getting in and the fighter not getting in. Maybe yeah. maybe I'm just biased because I think they're all better movies, but come on. No, I what feel like the about? fighter has has momentum. It just does. The other thing about it is that it's... um. It is a feel-good movie. Like You do feel happy, uh, even though the ending, I'm sorry, but when they... 
the ending is it felt so contrived to me because there wasn't a plot point that happened that I didn't see coming first of all mm-hmm. unfortunately I wish that it hadn't been the case but um you know and how many times do we have to hear Melissa Leo making excuses for Dicky it was like maybe once or twice okay fine but like 5 6 7 8 9 10 times she's making excuses for him you know, I mean, it's like this. You don't want to do that in a movie. Just hit the same notes over and over and over again. And that seems like that's what they did. And then the crucial error of having Mar- um, uh, he, he goes to prison, he comes out sober and all of a sudden there's not a lot of stuff that happens between then and him coming back into Mark Wahlberg's life. And same with Melissa Leo. It's like they're just, oops, we changed on a dime and now everything's fine and he's going to be my trainer and I'm going to go win on his we haven't been set up for that. We mm. haven't. There's been... the big speech that he gives Amy Adams when he shows up at her door that everybody's going crazy for, but that's about it. You know what? This sounds like a little bit of the same problem that Conviction had is that, uh, they had they're sticking to the facts of the real life story, right. and that's not, not always such dramatic. It doesn't have a dramatic no. um, arc that it should have. Exactly. A it's a it's a feel good story if you feel good about Mark Wahlberg reuniting with a total loser and a total monster bitch. <laughs> I think it, I think it actually would have worked better if if Christian Bale had cleaned up his act and continued to train uh, um, to train Wahlberg, but that they had both sort of rejected Melissa Leo. Somebody needed to be cut out in the cold. Absolutely, because two of them were horrible people, and there was there was no indication in the movie at all that Melissa Leo's character had changed one iota. No. She has and that I don't one think scene. there's even any indication in real life. I mean, they showed, at the end of the movie, they showed the real-life Dickie and the real-life uh, Mickey, um, but they didn't show the mom. And I wonder sort of what what the real story is with her. Oh, so you too. think they might have even, fa- even though they stuck close to the to the, uh, to the the real true story, that they may have faked the happy ending more than more than it actually takes place No, not so much, but I, I think, I, I don't know, I just, I think they should have, somebody needed to be kicked to the curb because <laughs> they were horrible people and they were annoying and, and it didn't feel good leaving the movie to me. It's called a feel-good movie, but I, I rushed out of the screening as quickly as I could. I didn't even stick around for the the Q&A with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg afterwards. It was like I couldn't get away from it fast enough. I hope in a way, I hope that it is. The feel-good thing, it gets on my nerves so much too. I hope that that we have like three or four different movies that split the feel-gooder vote so that the unlikable movie can win. You know, no. I want I want the King's Speech and 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 uh, and True Grit and Toy Story three and the Fighter all to all to have the feel good people just scatter in all different directions. <laughs> well, that's really you know? what's going to happen, right? And that's you hit it on the head. That's exactly yeah. why I think the Social Network wins because just because yeah. of that, you hit it. I mean, it's it's that is right. There's the Social Network and there's everything else, and that everything else is going to split up the vote just like it does every single year. There's always mm-hmm. the one movie. And everything else, you know. And it's a movie that it's it's. And another thing about the Best Picture winners that we sort of uh, almost touched on a minute ago or earlier is that there's something really unique about a Best Picture winner. You can't have a movie that everybody's seen before win Best Picture. Exactly. That's so true. That is so true. You can't see a movie that everybody's seen before win Best Picture unless there is a narrative to it that is beyond just the film, like. Um, 
when Clint Eastwood won for Million Dollar Baby, there was such a groundswell for him. When Catherine mm-hmm. Bigelow won, we've seen war movies win, but we've never seen a woman win. And there was a story there, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, the social network, the story is... You Mark can't Zuckerberg. compare it to anything. We tried earlier when it first came out. We talked about what what is it like, and we couldn't really think of anything that it's like. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have a story like it was really hard to get made and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it does have the story of Facebook. It has Mark Zuckerberg. It has all that stuff. That it has the and has one one thing it does have it has the the the, the mystification that everybody felt when they found out that Fincher and Sorkin were interested in the story. People were thinking, why? What are they ever going to find yeah. in the story to that will can 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 involve their talent? And now we find out and that they weren't really they didn't set out to make a Fincher movie or even a. Um, they didn't make they. It, that's another thing people were maybe disappointed about at first is they were expecting. They were, they missed the the Fincher flamboyance and they didn't get that. But you don't need it. I think Craig said that earlier today. It's better for a director to step back and let the just the script do the talking. Yeah, I mean, I could see if it was if I thought any other movie could really have a chance to beat Social Network, which I don't. I mean, just look at my contender tracker on my page. Mm-hmm. Just look at the awards it's won so far mm-hmm. in the past five years or whatever that I've been doing this, the last time it happened was Brokeback. Brokeback Mountain Lost to Crash was the last time you had a movie that had a landslide of critical support lose to a shitty movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Crash is a shitty movie. It's it is. so unworthy it is. of those and Of course, people. we all know There's the reason no... we've been through it a, a, a thousand times before. And I know. We know the but... reason they were not going to have the gay cowboy movie win Best Picture. They, they, I know, and some it's people were not going to vote for that. People were not badly. even going to watch it. Yeah, and it well, and it's important to remember, it. even with that, um, Crash won Best Ensemble and sagged that year. Yeah, so it wasn't and... it wasn't completely out of the blue. I mean, most no. people who have brains in their head were completely shocked that it won because it was a terrible movie, like Sausage said. But it, it wasn't completely unprecedented. There was still no. something behind it, and so yeah. far, there's nothing behind any of these other movies. It had the actor's support, is what it had, and there were enough people who didn't see. Broke back or didn't want to see broke back that didn't vote for it, and that's what gave crash. And I bet it was very close. Even the crash apologists, they can't argue that it was a better movie than Brokeback Mountain. They just can't. They can say it was a fine movie, it was a good movie, but there is no way they can say it was the best film of that year. Can you imagine somebody who who's who watches Crash more than once or twice? Who who's like <laughs> it's their favorite movie? They have to watch it every year or so. <laughs> Imagine what type of person that would be. I don't think so. It was so clearly homophobia. I know people like that's sort of a, you know, people think, oh, that's too lazy of a thought that, oh, it couldn't be that. You know, I always get the the pushback from that, even mm-hmm. from people like Bob Burns, who's my longtime friend and reader who's gay. And he he always stands up for Crash and he always says that they just liked it better and that, you know, it's a good best picture winner and you know he's always saying that and he's saying it wasn't homophobia but to me it's like what else could it have been you know i think it's an unknowable i'll I'll take bob burns aside and say that that there's no way to prove it either way i strongly suspect that that's what it is but you can't you can't prove it so at the end of the day i just have to say okay most people liked the other movie better and that's all but i do too. think what Sasha said too earlier, if, another thing that's unknowable, but I think can we can pre- be pretty confident about, it had to be one of the closest 
races in, in Oscar history, too. There had yeah. to be huge amount of support for Brokeback winning, too. It had to come in a really close second, I think. And it changed the Academy that year. That is one of the years that really altered. That was like a tectonic shift, a earthquake of, you know, it was it, it mm-hmm. shifted people's thinking because they did see that um, there was such a thing as a much more critically acclaimed film that made a lot of money that was talked about that won everything mm-hmm. that didn't win Best Picture. And that they did start to think about it. And I do think that's why things changed because after that year, the Best Picture winners were different. They were much more critically acclaimed. They were... Um, well, it's that, humiliating. It's embarrassing to and, and to the people, especially to the people who who didn't vote for Crash. They must really have just felt like, you know, look what you've done. Look at look how you sullied our reputation yeah. by, by letting this win. I mean, that's the Academy of old. That is really how yeah. they did things, and that's what people are counting on this year: is the old Academy coming back and digging their heels in and saying no. We don't like this movie, so we're not going to vote for it. But there's a huge difference between The Social Network and Brokeback Mountain. The Social Network is very much a um, a guys, guy, macho guys movie. Not, you know? Yeah, there's not any gay thing going on uh-huh. in the social, social network at all. No. You know, so and there's not. There's nothing difficult about it. I mean, God, the, thing, the other thing is my friend always said that Brokeback Mountain was because they were prejudiced against Ang Lee, even though he won Best Director. They, they couldn't celebrate him the way they ever could Clint Eastwood or Catherine Bigelow or someone like that. They couldn't celebrate Ang Lee that way. That's, I don't know about, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a strange uh, that claim because he did win. Is that what you're saying? Win. Is that what your friend is saying? That's what my friend is saying. That how, she, how do you not celebrate somebody by giving them best director? That makes no sense <laughs> I whatsoever. don't get that really. But, no, because but I, I do you don't have enough faith it, it, in them. It's, it's a condescending vote if you give them director and then not picture. Yeah. It's condescending to do that. I don't agree with that, actually. When, when No Country won... Um, I was thinking the whole way leading up, I, I couldn't accept the fact that it was going to actually win Best Picture. And I thought, okay, you know what? If they get Best Director and they don't win Best Picture, I will totally be happy with that. To me, that's <laughs> much more of a compliment than if it were the other way around and it wins oh, Best Picture. It had no competition. Win. Oh, yeah, definitely if it was the other way around, that would be a, a really a big insult. But I, I think that I do think that's not the case, though. That's not. That's well, not there, there is a history of them screwing over Ang Lee, though. It's not, it wasn't just that year. It was Crouching Tiger here. And Dragon too, and um, he's you know he's a little obtuse for their tastes, and he got fairly mainstream if you can call it that with Brokeback, but um, uh, he, you know it just wasn't he wasn't it wasn't the movie of the moment for them. They they preferred Crash, and a lot of that was to do with the actors. You know they had Sarah Jessica Parker on a talk show saying she hadn't even seen Brokeback Mountain heading into the race, and she's not even you know uh, what's his name? She's not even. Um, that guy's name, that horrible... Matthew Broderick? No, no. The, the older yeah. guy who everybody said... Oh, uh, Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine. She's not even Ernest Borgnine. She's, you know, mm-hmm. But she still mm-hmm. hadn't seen Brokeback Mountain. It was the movie that they didn't want to put into their VCR and watch. Right. I can't believe she said that. That's weird know to me. That How do you her. take movies seriously and not watch that movie? I don't know, but I remember it, guys. It was a why really she, hard yeah, year. I believe you. I, I, I believe you, but why yeah, all people, yeah. would she be saying that? And why would she be proud, not not necessarily proud to say it, but why would she want anybody to know that? The girl who's the star of Sex in the City, are you kidding? She played a gay character. She's a gay man in that movie. <laughs> she plays a gay man. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. I remember. Yeah, I know that. I, I just can't day. understand though why she would ever say that out loud. Why she would want anybody to know that. It's I don't bizarre. know, but the best thing that ever happened was that Kenneth Turan wrote a really great angry piece the next day about it and that remains one of my easily one of my top 10 favorite moments that i've since i've been covering the race was kenneth turan's reaction to them not voting in broke back it's a great if you haven't read it you should read it it's a great essay he just nails them to the wall and i really think it changed the way that they vote for films and that's why i think that they're they're going to vote for the social network not just because it's winning all these awards but because it's a damn good movie when you sit down and watch it yeah. it's good yes it doesn't have the feel goody factor it doesn't have the you know triumph over difficulties that you know the king's speech has and maybe the fighter has and um, but did I misunderstand you? I didn't even want to believe what I was hearing, Craig. Did you did you say that Social Network might not be in your top ten? There's no yeah. might about it. It's not in my top ten. Why are we talking to you today? I know. Why are we even <laughs> talking to you? <laughs> but that's okay. I, I mean, it. he has. Yeah, a... I do think that you judge, need to judge me when I actually do my top ten. <laughs> then you can judge. Yeah. Um, I think but, that there's yeah. a there's a reaction people get when a movie's really that popular, and it does definitely skew you. I'm not saying this is happening with you, Craig, but I made that I made that determination even before it was really. I mean, there there was there was festival buzz, but it it hadn't really taken off. I don't think at the time that I saw it and liked it, but didn't fall in love with it. Well, you're going to have people cheering, you know, even though I just kind of slammed you just now. But I'm sure you're going to have people, some of our listeners are going to be cheering for you. You know, you're going to have a lot of fans because you don't like it. Because yeah. there are people, there are people, there are readers, especially some of them just really hate it and hate that we talk about it all the time. I know. I really, really liked it. I gave it four out of five stars. It just wasn't mm-hmm. that extra level of awesome to me, which mm-hmm. I'm looking at all the critics' reactions now. And I'm I'm seeing how I'm totally outside of the bubble on it. But there I think you just, should watch it there again. Are, there are ten movies that just grabbed me more than that movie did. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I can't even find five. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, um, the five. <laughs> My number one would be The Social Network. It's one of the movies that I will, I will watch every, you know, as many times as I can as I go through life. It'll be like No Country for Old Men. It'll be like Taxi Driver, Henny Hall. It's one of the great ones for me. Black Swan, you know, is a work of art. It's just a masterpiece. And so that's number two. Number three would be True Grit. Um, the Coens once again made, you know, what I consider to be one of the easily one of the best films of the year and one of their best films. Um, and after that would be The Tillman Story, that documentary. I just really loved it. I thought it was um, powerful and sad and unforgettable to just overload you with hyperbole for a minute. And then mm-hmm. finally Blue Valentine, because it took a long time for him to make that movie. I really believed their relationship, and you don't see that kind of cinema verite very often. So, It sounds like to me, uh, I'm sure people have said this before, I haven't read reviews about it yet because I don't want to know anything about it, but it does sound like a little bit like uh, uh, Bergman's uh, Scenes from a Marriage, doesn't it? And didn't those... didn't. Uh, those two actors yeah. go back again like 20, 15 years later and do a sequel to the movie? about. Um, the- yeah, it's Bergman's scenes from marriage without the directorial style that Bergman has, who's oh. just unmatched, really, Bergman. Right. Um, I can't think of a single director this year, other than Scorsese maybe for Shutter Island and Polanski for The Ghost Rider, maybe The Social Network, um, where the director's eye is the most important thing in the film. 
Mm. A lot of these movies that we're seeing this year that are popular are story-driven, actor-driven. Um, you don't see a lot of that art, you know, that really kind of careful composition of shots the way you see with Bergman very often, in my opinion. Right. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm going to send you a, a screenshot right now of True Grit. Keep talking while I find it. But True Grit would be the only the one, yeah. I, I I'm sorry. That the, that's I think the one. That the director's eye really shows in True Grit, yeah, too. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I stand corrected. True Grit is the one. That's the one that has the director's eye, for sure. It's the Coens. How could it not? Right. But should we talk about the Coens for two more hours, you guys? <laughs> right. We could talk about True Grit for two hours, but... But let's not let's, no, let's not after we the top are we doing top tens or top fives? Let's do yeah, top ahead, fives yeah, and then let's go into yet. and yeah. then let's go into True Grit. Yeah, I I, I don't I haven't narrowed it down yet. Um, are, do you want five or ten? Five. This is um, our preliminary list. We'll do our official top ten next week. Yeah, I'm I'm I may have to make some changes, but. Um, I could give you 13 movies that I liked better than The Social Network, but let's just go with my top five. Okay. Um, Inside Job. Hmm. I'm, I'm Still Here. Oi. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. What do I got? Two so far. Winter's Bone. That's three. Hmm. Um, How to Train Your Dragon. Oh. And Scott Pilgrim versus the World. All five of those I liked better than The Social Network. What about Two Grit? Um, True Grit is in the top ten, probably for sure, but not necessarily in the top five. Wow, so you didn't like it that much. I did. <laughs> I, the thing about the Coens, and maybe we can get into this if we talk about True Grit a little bit more, is they get better with repeated viewings, and there there hasn't been a single movie of theirs that I haven't liked more the second time I saw it than I did the first time. Even the movies of theirs that I didn't like very much, I like more the second time around. So, you know, this time next year, it may be my my number one movie. In fact, I'm thinking now when I when I first saw No Country for Old Men, I also gave it four and a half stars, and then I saw it again, and I bumped it up to five, and it ended up being my favorite movie of the year with uh, There Will Be Blood a close second. But um, for see, that's first, why we want you. To, that's why we want you to watch The Social Network again. <laughs> well, if those jackholes at Sony would think I was cool enough to send me a screener, I would have, but they don't, so I haven't. So yeah, screw them. it's um. The thing about The Social Network is the more I see it, the more I notice from it. And that, to me, is the mark of a great film. If I can watch oh. it over and over. And Black Swan, man, I saw it twice. Ryan, I've got to get you that screener. My stupid sister still has it. Yeah. You know, I didn't name my top five in order because I felt embarrassed putting Black Swan at number one since I since it's the one I haven't seen yet. But I have a yeah. feeling, since since you're saying that it's, a, it's almost a toss-up between Social Network and Black Swan, that I might really go over the edge for you're gonna love one. it I'm, the only thing i would say about it is what i told you before which is that you are a little more um you're you tend to i think you tend to be a little more uh, about the visual style than um I, i'm very superficial no i don't mean it that way i mean <laughs> no. you, you pay attention to compositions of shots and that kind of thing like that's really the cinematography and the but you know that that the social network has that too and you have just, when you see it two or three times you see those things and 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 i i i think that i either jeff conan west said said this when i talked to him in our interview or maybe i read it in preparation for the interview but you rarely see mark zuckerberg in a shot where he's with anybody else 
he's almost always in the shot by himself. Yeah. Little things like that work on you psychologically when you see a movie that you don't even really realize it the first time you see it. And even the second or third time, you might not, it might not pop out at you because it's not, it's not totally consistent. Of course, there are people in the frame with him sometimes, but almost all the time he's by himself. Yeah. So it isolates him visually, you know. And so you get, it gives you the feeling throughout the movie that he was a, a very lonely guy. Oh, yeah. And that one shot of him at the house when they're having a party and they just mm-hmm. found out that they got the $500,000 um, investment and he's standing outside the window and you see him through the window looking at the party. And it's like he's got all the success. He's got all he's invented Facebook where everybody's friends with everybody else. And yet he's still alone. It's incredible, Mm -hmm. that shot. I love Mm -hmm. that shot. Um, The other thing about that movie is that it's the perfect um, collaboration of composer, director, writer, actor. All four of those things work so beautifully together. I mean, it's like a symphony watching that Mm -hmm. movie just because of that. You know, the music is perfect. The directing is perfect. You know, everything is he hits exactly the right notes. And then Jesse Eisenberg lives up to it. And, it, you know, I've said it millions of times, but if you take any one of those out, you don't have the movie that it is, in my opinion. Right. I would add, uh, I would add the cinematographer, too, Cronin West, because I, I think that he gave – he and Fincher both, almost, they, they, they erase their own presence so much in this movie that, that it's um, not as easy to, easy to appreciate their work as right. it is for someone like Aronofsky, who's, who's really showing off in oh, a way, yeah. you know. All too often, the people who draw them are the flashiest and draw the most attention. Cough, cough, Christian Bale, cough. Uh, <laughs> get, get all of the plaudits, but they're not necessarily deserved, especially with the with with the technical stuff. But even with acting, I think the best stuff are the things that that don't call attention to themselves. That they mm-hmm. just do their jobs and they have the impact that they're designed to have without you going oh wow that was such amazing editing or oh wow that was such amazing cinematography it was all pretty pictures it's it's the subtle stuff that gets you and and the stuff that you don't think about when you're watching it if you're thinking about it when you're watching it to me that's drawing you out of the movie and it's a problem that's yeah. right did you check your email to see the the screenshot that yeah, I sent you from beautiful. Today? it's beautiful it's beautiful i don't know how you i know, could forget see, it see about the perspective the way that it frames her and and comes together and focuses your attention and it gives her such strength you know it, it, yeah. that's that's the moment in the in the movie in that scene where she gains the upper hand when yeah. when she gains the upper hand in the conversation that's the shot you see and we're talking about Haley steinfeld and True mm-hmm. i'll uh, post the screenshot on this on the website when we uh post this podcast so people know what we're talking about yeah. Is that the same scene where she's talking to who's she talking to? Is she talking to somebody? Um, oh yeah. yeah, she's in the street. She may be talk- she's talking to the uh, sheriff. She's asking who is who is the best. That's right. It, who's the best? Marshal. It's the sheriff. And mm-hmm. yeah. what I noticed about that exact same scene and it wasn't the shot, it was mm-hmm. the fact that they had that she had such presence that they they were smart enough to keep the camera on her even when the sheriff was talking because right. the scene was not about the sheriff. It was all about Maddie Ross. And that was the, it wasn't the composition of the scene that grabbed me. It was just the fact that the camera stayed on her, even when somebody else was talking. And right. Was because like, he's uh, naming, 
he's naming these different marshals and he's telling her the attributes of each marshal. And while he's, 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 you can see which ones he thinks are best by the way he's describing them. And you can see her disregarding them one by one in her own, in her eyes as he's describing them. But when she's, when he says that Rooster Cogburn rarely takes anybody alive, all of a sudden, you know, you see a, something click in her eyes like, hmm, that's the guy I want. The guy mm. who takes well, no prisoners. I'm so excited to see it again. The thing about them is that, you know, every time I watch their movies, even ones I've seen over and over again, like Fargo, um, I notice something new in every shot, little things that they did, subtle things that, you know, drive the story. And I'm, I know that they're all through True Grit. So, you know, what's amazing to me, speaking of True Grit, is, well, Ryan, you want to do your top five or do you want to wait until you see I, I, I named them, but I didn't really name them in order. And I don't think it matters really what order they're in. Because I'm not even sure about the order yet. Yeah, um, Mine weren't in order either. They were just sort of random. I but like uh, these are your five favorites that you've seen this year kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Just on the social network, um, Black Swan, Inception, Winter's Bone, and True Grit. And probably True Grit would maybe be third. Hmm. I think it's. I think I really uh, maybe like True Grit more than Inception. You guys make me feel like a total douche. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> you mean because of I'm not there, or because of because your lists are all cool and mine is all dorky. <laughs> I, I like fully, your list. I completely defend I'm not there. No, you should. That movie was awesome, and the fact that Joaquin uh, you know Phoenix what I'm not there. Ignored. I'm not there was a great movie, but that wasn't the movie that Joaquin. <laughs> Started walking. Phoenix started. I'm still here. I'm not. What there. did I say? I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not there. Yeah, was the great that what time I said for my top five. <laughs> no, you said I'm still here. You did for your okay. top five. Oh uh, no, we're just descending into drunkitude now. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still here. I I totally defend that movie. It's it's uh, fantastic performance on his part, and the fact that SAG ignored Michelle Williams, Ryan Gosling, and Joaquin Phoenix just totally destroys any credibility that they might have as an awards giving body as far as yeah. I'm concerned. No. And you know what? Um, the thing I was noticing about, I'm still here and I'm, I have the screener here, so I might just watch it just to see for the hell of it is that people did not like being punked. So once no, they, they hated it, they hated it and they were never going to give that movie any sort of validation. Because no. Same with Catfish. No slack whatsoever. Catfish, but you know what? They deserved being punked. Catfish, Maybe they did, you know, but... I don't want to go into catfish again because I don't think anybody was punked in catfish. No, but, but that's how people with... see it. People see it right, like yeah. that somebody was exactly. punked. I'm not they saying feel it like, was. like, oh, somebody's putting something over on me, so I have to reject yeah. it. And but I they really totally mind. had it coming with I'm Still Here because they participated in that whole fraud leading up to it. I know, but Even do they people want... who were suspicious of it were still... Trumpeting it, going, oh, look at this guy freaking out on camera. Yeah, except and for they, just... they don't want Casey Affleck to be the one punking them. It's like they they barely can take Ben Affleck seriously at this point. Certainly not yeah, Casey well. Affleck. If it was David Lynch, he'd be lauded and what's his name would be nominated. <laughs> what's his name? <laughs> but since it's Casey Affleck, you know, they're just, who is this stupid little punk? <laughs> who is this dumb shit? Or you could be vindicated 20 years from now, Craig, when... Uh, when... I'm not there. I'm still here. Whichever one it is, is it makes the sight and sound top ten list. You know, yeah. yeah fuck vindication. You know, <laughs> you know what though? I it, like your it's list. The movie of the year, and anybody who doesn't see it can go screw themselves. I mean, we we live in a critical environment where David Denby, the critic for the New Yorker, which is one of the most important you know mouthpieces on the planet, sniffs that the latest 
Sofia Coppola movie is just another movie about a spoiled person in a hotel. That's mm-hmm. his big take on somewhere, which is totally ridiculous. We, we cry all the time about the fact that every jackass with a keyboard can be a movie critic now. Yeah. Well, rather than criticizing the jackasses with keyboards, we should be criticizing the critical establishment for totally dropping the ball and just not doing their job. Here, here. Anybody could say that about that movie, even who hasn't seen it, who knows that only the very basics about it could say that about that movie. It was not my favorite movie of the year, but I did really like it. And to dismiss it as that is just ridiculous. And then there's the other group of people who will say, oh, well, why should I give a shit about a handsome movie star who's depressed? You know, it's like, okay, you can you can care about a drug-addled boxer who's a total low-life scum, but just because a guy has some money and he's handsome, you're not supposed to care about him? It makes no sense whatsoever. No, and she's writing of the world that she knows. It's like... You know, it's just like with Please Give. It's like, you know, this is the world that she dwells in. And she's not trying to fake it by, you know, a lot of these other directors. You know, so many movies are always about the grungy, sad, poor people in life. It's so funny that they work so hard to get themselves out of poverty and become famous and rich and successful. And yet then they turn around and make movies about people who really struggle hard with just paying the rent. You know, some one quote I read um, Criticizing her said, we love you, Sylvia, but come back when you've got something to say. Yeah, who said that again? That was cruel. I don't know, but I mean, what a cruel thing to say. It's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah, because I mean, because um, the comment itself is pretty much, you could say the same thing to the person making that comment. Why don't you come back when you've got something to say? Well, I I, just so you know, I voted for her in my um, Alliance of Women Film Journalists as... I voted for her in several categories, you know, like um, the enduring female filmmaker, you know, someone who, to me, she's kind of uncompromising. She does what she wants to do and what she feels is important. She doesn't necessarily do what's going to, you know, the the critics are going to approve of or that's going to win Oscars or make money. She's a true artist, you know, and I, you got to appreciate that, I think. You don't have to like everything that she does, but you have to admire what she's doing. Yeah, even I mean, if it doesn't she, work, she exactly, could she yeah. could do anything on the planet, and it would get. She, she could hire the best, you know, screenwriters, the best editors, and the best cinematographers, all because of her last name. And mm-hmm. she could make any movie she wanted, and it would be enormously popular and blah blah blah. But she doesn't. She makes the movies she wants to make. Absolutely, and and they're interesting. You don't have to like them, but to dismiss them like that, especially by somebody who i mean come on your your job as a as a film critic and that's your reaction to any Mm. movie that's just absurd to me a lot of critics um lately have been really kind of aggravating me even though i tend to stand up for them it's like i think if they don't i still feel this way if they don't have either if they're young and independent thinking that's good or if they are intelligent enough to have a broad world view and know that it's not just about them not getting it that's the one thing that really bothers me about anybody, blogger, critic, is that when they can't appreciate something beyond they didn't get it, you know? Okay, so right. if you didn't get it, is it the movie's fault or is it your fault? Exactly, right. right. You know? Give That's, me a you break. know, you get people who say the movie wasn't about anything. 
well, maybe you're just not smart enough to have understood <laughs> what it was exactly. about. It's, you're you're blaming the movie for you being a moron. Yeah, it's like Rilke right, wrote in Letters to a Young Poet is, you know, if, if your own life seems poor, don't blame it. Blame yourself because you're not poet enough to call forth its riches, you know. I was trying to look up just now who that was. I, I was trying. I knew the quote, but you, you beat me to it. Uh, yeah. Googling that at the same right the moment you were saying it, I had the quote typed in. I was thinking, who said that? Oh, you did. That's so funny. Yeah. No, it's, it's. Have just, you guys have you guys seen somewhere yet? I haven't. I'm sorry to say, and ashamed to say, I got invited. I, they wanted me to do a lunch with her. You know, Sofia Coppola lunch. But we'll talk about it. Well, um, we'll we'll talk about it more when we have seen it. I've got the screener here and I haven't seen it. And I feel so I should really feel bad. I don't even you know, have the right screener. In front of me. Yeah. Oh no, I did. I got the screener and I didn't watch pretty, it. Isn't that pretty pretty screener. I like it. The, the movie has issues. It's really, really, really slow. It's like almost narcotizingly slow, but <laughs> it that's sort of the point. And if and it's it's never boring. And if you stick with it, I think it's it's really it's really rewarding. It's not my favorite movie of the year by any stretch, but there's a lot more going on there than what it's given credit for. You know, mm-hmm. I think people were overly dismissive of Marie Antoinette too. I mean, everybody talked about how it was booed at the Cannes Film Festival, and that was like the beginning and the ending of the story of that movie, yeah. which was a total load of crap. That was an excellent movie. It was an odd movie. Yeah, it was a, it was a little bit pretentious, but. It was great, and it was, if you really stopped to pay attention to it, it was a fantastic little movie. Well, I think I we're so I could watch that movie over and over. I really like the movie a lot. Yeah, I'm sure that that's the one. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that's the one of her movies that I would really love. I love Lost in Translation. But I think what you have to do if you're a filmmaker versus just a regular artist is that you have to realize that you're not making movies for yourself. You're making them for audiences. And right. I think that... Sophia Coppola can could do with a little bit of thinking about that, you know, just thinking about that. This is movies for yeah, audiences, yeah. for other people to see and to think about their lives and get. It's not necessarily about I'm expressing every thought that runs through my own head, which is yeah. what artists do, you know. So, there, and some directors can get away. That. Some directors do get away with that. Lynch gets away with it, and the Coen Brothers get away. I don't think that they can consider their audience so much as they consider just entertaining themselves. But they're lucky in the fact that there are a lot of people. The people who like their movies are have the same mentality. You yeah, know, I don't think there's very many people with the same mentality as Sophia. But their their movies are entertaining. They're not. Um, you know, the the, Co- the Coen's movies are incredibly entertaining. David Lynch's movies are. You know, you you line up and buy a ticket to that. I mean, what 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 a better way to spend an evening than to watch a David Lynch movie? You know, that that's her template. She's not she's not trying to be Frank Capra or she's not she's not trying to appeal to the mainstream. She's she's doing something entirely different. And I think I think we need people like that. I mean, you need yeah. people who are making movies that people want to see, but I think you also need people who are pushing the envelope a little bit. It kind of runs in the family. I mean, uh, George Lucas, who is the most populist of them all, always talks about how now he's going to sit down and make, you know, his little films. And he has never done that where his, 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 um, his mentor, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Sophia's father made youth without youth and Tetro, which, Mostly got clobbered by critics, um, and youth with, youth without youth was a struggle, but Tetro was awesome. And here's a guy 
who, again, could make any movie he wants, could make billions of dollars doing it, um, but he's making these little personal films, and I think it's fantastic. And I think I'm glad that Sophia is doing it, and I hope that she keeps doing it. I don't see any reason why she should do anything else, because there are plenty of people who apparently want to sell out and make dog shit. I mean, look at David O. Russell. He... I don't blame him because he struggled just to get his movies on screen, but now he's making some crappy video game adaptation, and I can't remember what else he's working on. But, you know, God bless the artists for, for doing what they do. Yeah. That's I love the dreamlike um, um, impression that her movies give. You know, even from the very beginning, from Virgin Suicides, there's a dreamy quality that's, that's ethereal almost. You just feel like you're floating when you watch her movies. I'm looking now. I have to give A.O. Scott credit. He did name somewhere the number, his number four movie of the year. Hmm. A.O. Scott did. Yeah, his list somewhere. was totally lame. Uh-huh. He did, yeah. <laughs> I hated his Good for list. him. You know, she's she, another thing to say about Somewhere, and I'm sorry that this has turned into a conversation about Somewhere, even though actually it's coming out on the 22nd, the same day that True Grit is coming out for anybody who's still actually listening. Uh, but... Um, it, uh, she changes it up. She, she, one of the big criticisms about her, and it's a similar criticism that Wes Anderson gets about the hipster pop soundtrack. She totally loses this, that this is the, a completely minimalist, uh, movie. Mo- all the music, most of the music in the movie is music that's in the scenes. So mm-hmm. she's not, she's not relying on her same bag of tricks. She may be returning to similar themes and even similar plot points, but this is really a different movie for her. Hmm. I want to watch it tonight. I feel like I'm, I'm right after we finish. I, in fact, I'm going to hang up now and watch this movie. <laughs> so, I really, you really talked me into it. You know, I'm really looking forward to I, it. I think you'll like it if you have the patience yeah. to stick with it. I mean, oh, you know, I like do, I said, yeah. it's a slow movie. It goes like 15 minutes before anybody actually says any significant dialogue. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I think I read somewhere that the script was like forty pages long. Because oh yeah, I read that too. There, there, there's hardly any dialogue in it at all. It's it's just people and people reacting, and it's just a it's a quietly lovely film. And I'm I'm actually falling in love with it a little bit more the more that I talk about it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to watch it again before I. It just sounds like you're it. describing the female orgasm to me. <laughs> Well, you know, there's probably <laughs> something so t- to that. I'm just so tired of men describing the female orgasm as like, you know, the delicate flower that has like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, delicate flower that explodes sweet little, in your quiet face. Little, like, I like a woman that, you know, kicks the door down and <laughs> marches into the room to tell the story, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this like kind of weak sort of precious you know kind of, I, I shouldn't even say because i haven't seen it but you know scream oh, it you know, the, you know the, but there's room for all the that though. there's room for the other thing too you know there, yeah. there's an element of precious to it for sure but i don't think it's weak at all the precious part is like the cute little precious blonde girl i'm sure because that's sofia coppola's weakness there are these women these blonde women that she likes to cast in her films all of them actually who is it dakota yeah, fanning but- yeah, no, it's Elle Fanning. Elle um, Fanning, yeah. She, I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, I, I'll, I'll have to watch it again because she is on record as saying she wanted to make a movie about a man and not a movie about a woman. And really the focus is on uh, the, what's his name, Stephen Dorff? 
Mm-hmm. It's, the focus is on his character. And, and I wondered, as I was watching it, if Elle Fanning was supposed to be sort of a surrogate for Sophia, but I don't really think so. She's more something for the lead to sort of react against. So it's, so it's um, not yeah. I don't like think a, she would do that. I, don't, of... I think it would be too diagrammatic or whatever, how you pronounce it. You know, too much of a diagram you know, to, her to, to cast it that way. I was thinking that it was like a retelling of her life with her dad. I think there's biographical elements to it, but really her focus is is more on is more on Stephen Dorff, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with sort of her lost years before she sort of knuckled down and became a filmmaker and really focused on something. There was a while there where she was just you know going to parties and and just kind of being famous, and that was all she was really doing. Um, and I think there's a degree of that in this film, but, um, hmm. it's, it's good that she went through that though. You know, I'm glad she went through that phase. I think that it's important for, for artists to do that, to really go to the extremes and then come back from the, from the precipice, come back from the edge. Well, yeah. And if you think about the age when she was going through that, she was in her twenties and, hmm. and God forbid anybody hold me accountable for what I was in my twenties. Well, even yeah. Scorsese did. I didn't Scorsese go on like a coke binge when he was making New York, New York. Wasn't Scorsese on coke all the time? Or maybe I shouldn't be telling that. But no, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's that's, pretty common that's, knowledge, though. I think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally common knowledge that he he was in you know big time into drugs, but it almost right. killed him, and he had to clean up his act. You know. Then he comes back after coming back from that. After surviving that, he comes back with the Raging Bull, which you know is part maybe part of the necessary artistic process to go through mm. that. Yeah. Let's talk about True Grit one more time because I'm thinking I'm looking at it now because like I said it's been it's on the TV right in front of me. And I'm looking at Haley um, Seinfeld Steinfeld and what about her chances to win Best Supporting Actress if they put her in that category? If she goes for Best Supporting Actor. Well, what's what's the story with her being in that category in the first place? Is it a matter of them I think it's her age. I think, it's, I think that we're, she can't win, or is it is it an age thing? Because I think it's only the age thing, because when we look at it historically, when you look at... Um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, Dad. Tatum O'Neill. Tatum O'Neill obviously was, and, uh, was the star of that movie, right? She was a star of Paper Moon. But she, Timothy and, Hutton for Ordinary People. He was right. supporting, and he yeah. won for um, supporting, but he was a teenager. Linda Blair, uh, the only one who's the, who was under the age of 16 who went in the Best Actress category was that uh, whale rider girl. What's her name? Yeah. Um, and the reason is because, is because she was the only star in the movie. Who else would she be supporting? You know, mm. the whale? You know? <laughs> and so there's nobody as, as as if there's an adult who's who who can carry the story too is an important part of the plot. Then the younger person always goes supporting. That's what we found historically when we look at it. Mm-hmm. I'm at peace with that. It was just an interaction that I had via Twitter with um, uh, Scott Feinberg, or was it Nathaniel Rogers? I can't remember which. That was complaining about. The supporting actress category, and I, I sort of understood where he was coming from. I'm just happy that she's being recognized, but I think it's important for people to know that regardless of what category she's in, she is the lead actress in that film. She mostly carries that movie. I know, and it's as good, and it's as good as it is because of her performance. You've been listening to Three-Way Moviegasm with Craig Kennedy from livinginsinema.com, Ryan Adams, and Sasha Stone from awardsdaily.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. 
Thanks for listening.